Well, if you can't tell, um, I'm a little nervous today because uh, we're going into a topic today that's a lot of fun, but it's also kind of heavy. Uh, if you don't know me, if you haven't met me before, my name's Austin Pettit. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Alpine. I'm a Loganite with y'all, so, uh, and the y'all's on purpose from the fair this weekend. I just got a little fair in me. I got to get that out. But um, we're in the middle of a study through the book of Mark. What we're doing is basically since the start of the year, we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Mark, and using that as, as a tool to develop what we're going to talk about this week. So whatever comes up next, we talk about. Last week, we ended chapter 9 when Luke talked to us about what it means to be great in God's kingdom. He told us that you need to be the least, you need to be last to be the greatest in God's kingdom. The next, cha- the next passage we get into, we're going to start today in Mark chapter 10, is about divorce. And I don't mean to be silly, but I, I want to just get that out there in front of everybody because I know there's some tension that comes with that. But it's the next thing that Jesus talked about, so we're going to talk about it. But before we get too far into what, what this means and, and how this all works, I want, to, I want to show you a really interesting literary tool that Mark uses to set up this idea of marriage and the kingdom, okay? This will be encouraging to you because what we see here is this message may be talking about divorce and marriage, but that's not the point. Every time we open God's word, he's going to teach us something. So whether you're here today and you're married or you're divorced or you're single or you're 17 and not thinking about either, let me encourage you, God has a message for you today. God has messages for all of us today, and I think the point is actually about pride and humility. And I didn't make that up. There's, there's, a, there's a phenomenon, a weird thing, that the gospel writer Mark does throughout his gospel. It's an ancient literary tool um, that the word for escapes me, but we pastors, we don't use old words. We like to make our own words up, so we call this a Mark sandwich, or the Markin sandwich. I'm not making that. I promise it's a real thing. You can Google it, Mark Sandwich Bible. Make sure you include Bible. Otherwise, you get some weird stuff. But what happens in the book of Mark is he starts a story, and he gets about halfway through and does this, like, left turn and talks about something totally different and then comes back to finish the story he started off in the first place. And that may seem like Mark can't keep his own attention, like he can't finish a thought, but that's not the case. He's actually using that as a tool to set up a point. What we see is that the, the, the bread ends of the sandwich, the start and end story, are actually used to set up a point that's illustrated in the middle, in the meat. And we see that today. At the end of chapter 9, if you see here, Jesus was teaching his disciples, if you want to be first, you have to be last. So he's teaching about humility and how that's key to God's kingdom. Then chapter 10 starts off with the Pharisees asking about divorce randomly. And then in verse 13, Jesus goes back and talks about how we need to have eyes like a little child and humility like a child to be able to fully understand God's kingdom. So the the bread of the sandwich is talking about humility and how that's the key to God's kingdom. And in the middle of both of those stories is this teaching about marriage and divorce. That's an important thing to remember because... As we go through our talk today, we're going we're to talk through a few points. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. If you want to start thumbing your way over there in your Bibles, your Bible apps, go for it. If, uh, if you don't have your Bibles today, 
No worries. We'll put it on the screen behind me so you can follow along. But we're going to see the story starts with the Pharisees setting a trap for Jesus. He responds to their trap by talking about God's design. And then he ends by answering the question that they thought was a trap in the first place. And the theme question we have today is how hard are we willing to fight for our marriages? Now, if you're not married today, or even if you are married today, this question actually boils down further. Because, you see, marriage and divorce is a symptom of a much deeper problem that we have in our lives. The question we should be asking ourselves, everybody here, is how hard are you willing to fight to be last? And that's where it boils down to. You see, when the Pharisees show up to talk to Jesus, they have this idea in their head that they know what Scripture means. You see, they've read it. We're going to see the part they're talking about today, but they have this idea that, that they know better, and so they can, they can come and they can, they can show Jesus, this is what the letter of the law means, this is what it's all about, and Jesus has to just bend to our will because we are so smart. But what they missed is they understood what the law said on paper, but they didn't understand what the law meant, why God wrote that down. And so as we look today, they had this, this super narrow view of Scripture. I want to make sure we're fighting against that as well, because today's passage in Mark chapter 10 has been used as a beating stick by God's church in the past. And what I mean by that is Jesus talks about divorce. He talks about marriage. And, and that's meant to be a gift from God. It's not meant to be a beating stick. Right? The, the psalmist says that, that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? He didn't say that to like wax poetic and put cool coffee cups out someday. He did that because it really was true. In a dark world full of sin and sadness and brokenness, God sent us his word to say, look, there is better. I designed this better. There's hope. You're not stuck in this dark rat, re rat wheel of a race anytime. You can get out. Here's how. That's what God's word is. Jesus' words today are part of that gift to us. But what can happen is we as people can get super legalistic about stuff, just like the Pharisees did. And we take what is meant to be a gift from God, and we use it as a weapon to belittle people who don't agree with us. Honestly, shame on us as a church, as the big C church. What I mean by that is as the global church. We've got to fix that, gang. We're going to talk today about what God actually means, what Jesus actually means when he wrote these things down, because again, it's part of this holistic story of humility and pride. Now, before I keep going with my own words, I want to do this. Let's open God's word, because you didn't hear, come here to hear me talk about all these cool things. You want to know what God has to say about this. So let's look at Mark chapter 10. Turn with me if you will. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to see we start off with a trap. Right, any Admiral Akbar fans out there? It's a trap, right? Star Wars joke in church. It, it fell flat like it always does. But, you could, but the, the one Star Wars fan out there can go home celebrating. Anyway, we see the Pharisees show up on a normal day with a trap for Jesus. Starting in verse 1, Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. So this is like a normal Tuesday with Jesus, right? People show up, he teaches them. That's just what he does. That's what he came to do. But the Pharisees show up, and they tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason and every reason? You might say, well, 
okay, how is that a trap? Well, the Pharisees had in their heads that the Mosaic law said you could get a divorce. We're going to look at that in a second here. But in their minds, this is a trap because if Jesus says, no, you can't be divorced, what he's saying is the Mosaic law is wrong, therefore we can dismiss him as a heretic because he doesn't agree with us, so he's just a crazy guy. Or if he says, yes, you can be divorced, he's actually contradicting things he's taught before, and so they can just say, ah, he's crazy, he can't even keep his story straight, he's not worth our time. Either way, though, we win. We can prove Jesus is nobody. But what they didn't know is they didn't understand what the passage that they were referring to actually says. Jesus pokes them a bit, and he, he prods them and gets them to figure this out. He says, with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said, a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. That's true. That sentence is out there. That sentiment is out there in the Mosaic law. Let me show you. In Deuteronomy 24, this is likely where they got most of their, their, their thinking from, we see this passage. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes her a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. And when she leaves his house, she's free to marry another man. Two things here, before you bum rush the stage and try to beat me up for this. First thing, that's actually in your Bible. I, I, I dare you, go look it up and, and, and look at it. It's actually in there. And that's weird because to our modern ears, this sounds terrible. What do you mean if a woman displeases her man, then he can just get rid of her? doesn't make sense. In fact, the Pharisees, that's kind of what they thought. There's, there's an old rabbinical teaching that they were following. Um, one of the, the variants of it was that if a woman messes up the pot of stew, that's enough of a reason to divorce her. Right? That's, that's craziness. That's not what this verse is talking about, but that's what they thought. They said, when a man divorces his wife, so that means we're allowed to, right? And I, I can just see Jesus standing there shaking his head like, oh my goodness, okay. Let's, let's do this thing, because this verse is not actually a universal law that says, here's how things are supposed to work all the time. This is an example of what we call a case law in Deuteronomy. A case law means there's a specific case in culture that God had to give them some guidance, direction, and laws so that they would be holy and different from culture and follow his plan, even in a broken situation. When this law was written down, it was very common in culture for men to be men and women to go along. That's how it was. It was a man's world and women were living in it. Women couldn't have property, they couldn't have voting rights, nobody could vote, but they, they couldn't have any kind of responsibility. They were tied to the success of their husband. Without a husband, women starved and died. That's, that's how boiled down it was. In that culture, Men took advantage of that and said, okay, well, I'm going to marry a woman, and when, when we, once we get married, if, if I can find that she's been unfaithful before or during the marriage, real or perceived, I can divorce her and off she can go. And then when she goes off because, because without, a, without a husband, she's not going to make it, she goes and marries another man, what would happen was the new husband and the ex-husband would fight about who had the rights to that woman, who had the rights to her dowry, to her children, to whatever she had with her. Women were property, and they were treated just like selling a car. Like if I sell a car to a guy and, and he finds out it's got bad brakes, then we have a fight about whose responsibility is to fix the brakes. It's that level of silliness and, and honestly, disgustingness 
in this culture at that time. Women had no value. So when God gave this command to Moses, he says, look, this is messed up. You all, this, this is going to keep happening because culture is so messed up. When this happens in God's people, here's how I keep women safe. That was the point of this case, this case law. The case law here was to protect women. Because this, actually, the next few verses goes on to say that uh, when, when a, a woman marries another man, the man gives up his rights when he files that divorce. When the man ends that relationship, he's done. He has no more rights, no take-backsies. Okay? That's what this means. And the important thing about that was that's how... You're messing my flow up, man. <laughs> hey, guys, brief, brief pause before we keep going. Uh, we have a couple cars that are blocking driveways, I assume. Uh, over by the, uh, by the food pantry. Okay, by the food pantry, we have a black Magic white Dodge and a white Jeep H955D. Um, if, if that's you, we'll all look at the floor for a second so you can get up and take care of that. We won't, we won't look. We probably, I'm sorry. But seriously, we can get that moved. That way the food pantry can get stuff out of the way. We'd appreciate it. Thanks, Lane. Anyway, gang. So, um, again, this was a law to protect women. That was the whole point. So God made this law as a good blessing because in culture, women had no rights, but in God's law, they did have responsibility, value, rights. What was happening here in the Pharisees' minds is they were taking that good gift of God's law and they were twisting it and using that law to demean and lower the value of the very people God intended to protect. Now, if I'm in Jesus' shoes, we're throwing hands. How, how dare you take God's beautiful gift and use it to belittle somebody? That's not what God's word is for. But I'm a weak man. Jesus is God. And thank goodness he is because he keeps going and he teaches them what actually is supposed to mean by this. So the trap was... Can a man divorce his wife? Jesus responds by pointing back to God's intention from the very beginning. So he says this first. Jesus responded, Moses, he, he, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. He was saying, look, you guys were so proud and so disrespectful that when I came through, I had to keep the women safe because you weren't doing it. That's why this was written down. But... God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Something I want to point out to you here. We talked about their Pharisee's idea comes likely from Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's part of the original Torah. It was part of the original law. Jesus responds to them. You see the quotations up there around this explains why a man? That's because he's quoting the Old Testament. Jesus says, all right, you know what? You think you're, you're hot stuff, right? You quoted the, the fifth book of the Bible. Good for you. I raise you the second chapter of the Bible. Because in Genesis chapter 2, from the very beginning of mankind, we see this. The Lord God made woman in, from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Context here, at this point in the story, God has created Adam... Adam's doing his job, but God notices Adam is alone. He has nobody to share life with. He has nobody to help him. He has nobody who he can help. 
So God creates a woman, and the two are joined together. And Adam's response to this woman is elation, as every guy who sees his wife for the first time. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. From the very beginning, the design God had for marriage was unity. It wasn't designed to end here on earth. That may sound pretty simplistic. It may sound kind of pie in the sky. But they're not my words. They're God's words. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, the Pharisees were trying to figure out when it's okay to end a marriage. And Jesus' response to them is to say, I'm not going to define marriage by how it ends. We're going to go back in time before pride came into the scene and made us write down this law for Deuteronomy. Before pride existed, when God created this perfect, perfect design was together. This imagery of of bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh was literal for Adam and Eve because Eve was created from Adam's rib. But for the rest of us since then, it's, it's an imagery of aspiration. It's where we need to be. So when we are joined together as man and wife, that's what it's all about. And Jesus says, what God has put together, let no one separate. You can't define marriage by how it ends. So when the question comes up of, can we get a divorce? Jesus' answer is, it's not how you were designed to think. This idea of what God has joined together, let no man separate, has a lot of weight to it. And it's, it's actually countercultural to a lot of what we believe in our culture today about marriage. See, Satan hates marriage, mostly because God loves marriage. And that's why there's such a war in our culture to, to devalue and redefine marriage as some kind of legal thing between two consenting adults, and that's all it needs to be. But from the beginning, that isn't the design. What God has joined together, let man not separate. The idea behind that is God put us together. So if I decide that we should separate, I'm I'm telling God that he was wrong. That doesn't jive. That doesn't work with God's design. um, This idea came to fruition for me years ago. Um, my, My grandparents on my dad's side were married forever. Uh, they were married long before I came to be, and they were married till the day my grandpa died. My, my grandpa, um, he actually, he died shoveling snow, and on the way out to get his shovel, he was telling my grandma how much he loved her and how much he was looking forward, and they were, just, they were just talking. So the day my grandpa died, he loved my grandma. My grandma's still there today, and to this day, she still loves my grandpa. And I, I was like, I, when my wife and I got married, I was like, how, how did you... How did you do this? How did you get there? How did you get so far into this? I mean, in a a culture that devalues marriage, how did you two stay together? I know you fought. I saw the outcomes of your fights. So how how did you reconcile? What what was it that drove you forward? You know, my my grandma makes really good desserts. So maybe maybe grandpa hung around because he loved dessert. And that was the reason. Maybe that was what it was. Or, or, you know, maybe grandpa was a leader in the church. So when, when you're a leader in church, when you get a microphone, you get superpowers. And, and God just tells you, you, and you can just do that kind of stuff. Sin's not a problem anymore. 
That's a lie, by the way. Don't believe that for a second. But that was, that was kind of where my head was. And so I asked my grandparents, how'd you do it? And both of them told me the same thing. My grandma says to me, well, I, I love Jesus more than I love your grandpa. And my grandpa said the same thing to me. I love Jesus more than I love your grandma. And that may sound like they were devaluing their relationship, like it was some kind of non-important thing in their lives, but that, that wasn't what they were saying at all. In their minds, they believe what Jesus said. If God put us together, then I have no right to separate us. So no matter how angry and mean and proud I can get, I have to humble myself to what God says I need to do, and I need to work on fixing this thing. Because God started this, and I have no right to end it. And that's what he told the Pharisees. And at the end of that sentence, the Pharisees are like, gone. He's just like, bye, bye, Pharisees, that was it. We don't see them again in this story. But the Pharisees ask Jesus a question about whether or not it's okay to get divorced. And he answers their question in verses 10 through 12. See, because they were alone in a house, and his disciples brought up the question again. They still didn't understand what he said. This is a common theme if you've been with us for a while. Jesus, Jesus says something, the disciples are confused. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. These verses are the beating stick that I was talking about. Because we get super into the legal definitions of what did Jesus say here? Did he say divorce is not okay? Did he say remarriage is not okay? Did he imply that some divorce is good and others are not? It's a discussion to have, but it's not the point. And I'm not going to get into it today because it's not the point of this subject today. What we see in these words subtly is the point. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against who? Her. His wife. The reverse is true. The husband and the wife have equal value and equal accountability in their relationship. That's crazy talk in Jesus' day. That means that women matter as much as men. Their value, just like men's value, is defined not by each other, not by the world, but by God who created us. Everybody God created has equal value to Him. He came to die for all of us which means that I have no right to think that I'm more important than my wife. And vice versa is true. So when, when they asked, can a man be divorce his wife? Jesus' response is, you need some more humility in your relationship. Because if you have humility to the point that God calls us to, this isn't a question we ask because God started it, so I can't end it. So we have to figure another solution out. There has to be another way out of this, because what God did, I can't undo. The Pharisees thought that there was a legal definition here that it permitted them to be divorced. They didn't want to fight for their marriage. God's calling us to fight for our marriage, but the way we fight for our marriage, the way we fight for any relationship in all of our lives, married, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, kids, we have to fight to be last. We have to fight to be humble. And that's not like some weird thing that, that, just, that we're just making up because we follow a God who displays humility. Think about that for a second. The king of the universe, the God who made everything, you and me, shows us humility by how he treats us. 
Right? He, he called Israel to be his people. We don't know why. He just did because he wanted to. And he told them he'd be with them forever. He would take care of them. And then throughout the entire Old Testament, the nation of Israel cheated on God over and over again. They went and pursued false gods. They went and found their own ways to do things. And each time, they pursued this, this lie. They got in trouble. They cried out to God, and he came to rescue them because he said he would. No other reason. Jesus is fully God, right? He is the, he is the firstborn. He, he is the God, right? He is God, one with God. What that means is he has every right that God has. So he could sit in heaven and wave at us as we fall apart, as we die, because he doesn't need us. But he loves us. He loves us like crazy. He loves us so much that he laid down his crown, came to earth, walked past all of us sinners, all those terrible folks. He walked past all the people that hate him and will never love him, and he stood at the back of the line and said, I'm going to die for these people because it's the only way they can get to the kingdom of heaven with me. I love them more than they know. So Jesus put himself at the back of the line, and that's the standard that we're supposed to perceive. We, we can't ever have that perfect humility. We're still broken humans, but we can pursue that. So in your relationships, as you're trying to figure out what this does look like, what does it mean to fight to be last? There's some questions that come up. Say, well, okay, if, if I put everybody else's needs ahead of mine, how, how, are, how are my needs going to be met? Right? In, in culture, we say, get your own, right? Go, go, get, go take care of your own stuff. Make sure you take care of you. That's how culture works. It's not how God works. God repeats to us over and over again in his, in his messages, that he will take care of us. He'll meet every need we have. What's funny is we talk about, you know, if I put myself last, how are my needs going to be met? But I talked about this. When you put yourself at the back of the line, you know who's there with you? Jesus is there with you. So that, that's where God puts himself, is at the back. And if you put yourself at the front of the line, that's the farthest you can be from where God is. So pursue the back of the line. Pursue last. Put others' needs ahead of your own. Can a man divorce his wife? God designed you to stick together, get some humility in your life, because that's the answer to the question. It's not about when and when you shouldn't and when you can't. I, I know there's situations, there's complications. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a divorce lawyer. I won't go into those things because I don't know. But I do know God calls us to be humble. God calls us to fight back on the pride of the world and says, if you put yourselves last, that's how you can see the greatest of God's kingdom. If you put yourselves last, I will take care of all your needs, I promise. So if you're here today and you're, you're needing some help and, and you're struggling and, and you know, this message is like, well, but, but our relationship is totally broken and there's no way it can be saved. There's no way we can come back from this. It would take a miracle to save us from this. I know a guy who's into miracles. God can do things that we could never imagine. If you need help today, Grab your welcome card that we talked about, and on the back, you can write, you know, I need marriage counseling, I need help. Put it in the offering box, and, and the church staff will help you figure out how to get some help. If you have questions or comments or, or things you want to talk about, about what it means to, to be humble and, and to pursue God in, in humility, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Because God's message for us today is to be last. So fight to get there. And don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. God, you, you are a big God. 
And you have a design for us from the very beginning. You have, you have an intention for us, and it's not what culture tells us is the intention. God, you, you, you love us enough to even explain to us what this means, what this looks like. Thank you. God, I pray that you would challenge us all today. God, I pray that, that folks who are, are, are kind of struggling with this, with this topic and, and not, not sitting comfortable, God, I pray that you would push into that and show them what you have to teach them. God, just like you've shown me what you want to teach me this week. God, I pray that you would save people today, save relationships, and God, that you would encourage people to follow hard after you all the way to the back of the line. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.